Hi, welcome to Music Ally Focus with me, Joe Sparrow, Music Ally writer, and Stuart Dredge, Music Ally's editor. Uh, hi, Stu. Hello, hello. Uh, good to have you as always. Now, Music Ally, as you know, provides an analysis-rich guide to the biz, and that's what Music Ally Focus does as well. Uh, we'll be analysing, uh, actually this time, a few of the most meaningful music business stories from this week. And this uh, podcast will be brief. This should take about the same amount of time as it would take the world's fastest motorised toilet to hypothetically travel 17 miles. Sue, um, I don't know if you've ever uh, ridden a uh, motorised toilet. <laughs> um, no, but I, I like that comparison because people are going to have to go and Google it to know if we are accurate in how long we take. Uh, yes. That. That's, that's, well, a, that's a Google and I calculation to figure out if you're telling so, the truth. Something to keep you occupied while you're forced to listen to this podcast. Uh, I can tell you a bit more information. The fastest motorised toilet uh, reached a speed of uh, 70.5 miles per hour in 2018. The toilet was flushed at the end of the attempt to prove that it functioned as required. I will post a link. So it's, hang on, is someone sitting on that toilet yep. going at 70 miles an hour? <laughs> yes, a functional toilet. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, the toilet going at 70 miles an hour, obviously not the person... Exactly oh correct. Yes, there, there, there are videos available. I will send. I will put a, a link to the Guinness Book of Records uh, beneath the podcast. Uh, now, Stu, sh shifting away from talking about toilet-based uh, excitement, this week saw Music Allies Sandbox Summit Global Conference happening online, and uh, well, there was a whole. There was three days of, of really interesting uh, talks and panels with experts from all over the world. Um, but we've rounded up three of the most interesting sessions to go over some of the key learnings. We're going to sort of do five minutes on each one, uh, one from each day. Uh, first of all, on the first day, uh, we had Richard Ayres, um, who is the chair of Seven League and founder of Rematch and one of the most respected marketing executives in the sports industry who works with pretty much every big major sports league you can think of. And he was talking about what the music industry can learn from sports and other sectors that he's worked with. And this was a particularly interesting one, wasn't it? Yeah, although interesting, like he seemed to be, maybe he was just being friendly to the audience, but he seemed to be saying a lot, actually, music has done a lot of things first and sports is learning from music, mm. which is kind of a nice ego boost for people listening, although possibly not what they, what they were wanting to hear about the stuff they didn't know. But yeah, yeah so a couple of things stood out to me. Um, one was him talking about new formats and how cricket has the 100, which is like a 100 balls uh, match. Rugby X and golf six is like a lot of formats that are kind of shortening sports and making them more exciting and making them kind of compete with things. And that was that made me think about music and about we people get bridled a bit if you talk about is a TikTok clip a music format, but it is, it's kind of a shorter way of experiencing music, you know. So there was, yeah, that was an interesting parallel that idea of creating new formats which to purists maybe maybe make them rather cross but are the, the things that can cut through with new audiences or kind yes, of... Yes, and there are sort of parallels, aren't there, with, with, with how things are working in music, because you could argue that the purists want to listen to the full album of an artist, and then the mm. sort of more casual listeners want to just the greatest hits, and then the teens, the, uh, the Gen Zers, <laughs> the Gen Zers, the kids these days, they just want 15-second music clips on, on TikTok. So there's, there is a sort of parallel there, isn't there? And he was talking about how that diversification in terms of how you present one thing in different ways is is actually something that the music industry could do in a bit more of a sort of organised fashion. Yeah, and he was very keen to say, like, it's not inequitable, I think he said this, it's not inexorably getting shorter. Things aren't inexorably getting shorter for short retention spans. And he was talking about test match cricket is still really popular for people who love it. 
and he had a whole slide about the kind of looking at football fans and, and segmenting fans by how hardcore and keen they are. And of course, the ones at the top, they will watch the whole match. They will sit through things. And the ones, who, the more casual ones, can be enticing you from that. So that was good. But the thing I really was interested in was when he was talking about this being the era of the moderator. And he was talking about how in sports, the communities around things like football have largely been apart from the clubs. Like Man United isn't running the most thriving Man United fans forum. Mm. Uh, it's an unofficial thing. Mainly because these places are would, be, would make you have 17 heart attacks a day if you were actually Man United <laughs> social media person and you were in charge of it. Because people people swap libelous gossip, they slag off the players, the chairman, you know. But he was saying he thinks that's going to maybe change and that clubs are going to sort of get more involved with the community. But that's going to mean they're going to need moderators and they need to grapple with moderation and how they deal with abuse and how they deal with stuff. And, yeah. and that feels a bit like music as well. Like, in, in a way a lot of the communities around music are away from the artist team, away from management. You know, they're, they're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, so on. So they'll have a profile, yeah. but the actual fan community... So, but, so that was interesting, that parallel of, like, how do you... Well, community management. Whereas in the games world, I feel like in the games world, that's part of every game now, is they have a community, community manager from the start who are there running the forums, talking to people, and maybe that's something where music and sports alike are going to be doing a lot more effort, I guess. Yeah, and it's so again as, as a as a comparison, um, you, you can see how you know the, the sports world. Uh, in some ways, the yes, that community of fans are separate to the the team, for instance. But then they do go and color, uh, congregate at a stadium and and put that support together. And it's a question of mm. with with, it, with music, where does the music? Where is the team? You know, where is the central? Where's the artist? And and how does that community revolve around them? Um, yeah. And, and that sort of brings us on to one of the things we're going to talk about in a bit, which is sort of um, membership economies and things like that for musicians. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was, it was one of those things where, in a way, it wasn't like a sports is way ahead of music and you should do this, this and this. It was almost these two things in parallel and sports is learning a lot from music. But in a way, it was like we can both learn a lot from other things like communities. So maybe we're both looking to things like games, like maybe these native digital things. Um, so that was interesting, I think. And, and, and you sort of see where there can be crossover between these worlds. And you can see that a lot of some music marketers have gone to work in sports. Yeah. You can see people come back. But I think there's, it's one of those. And another thing that was said elsewhere in the conference was the idea of diverse teams. And I think that's, there's several parameters to that, like diverse teams in terms of race and gender, and also in terms of age. But I think also in terms of backgrounds, and maybe that's one thing I took away from this, is like actually we can, music can hire people from these other industries who understand these things that we're trying to do more. So that was another takeaway, I think, that yeah. you know, reading between the lines of what he was saying. Cool. And uh, then on the second day, um, of course, mm. by the way, I will put links to uh, all your write-ups of these sessions uh, below the podcast. So if you want to dig more into that session with Richard Ayres, um, you'll be able to read Stu's write-up. Uh, the link will be below this podcast. Um, now, on the second day, uh, uh, I led a session on, uh, wait for it, NFTs, which mm. everybody uh, either loathes or uh, is obsessive about now. And I spoke to Joe Conyers from Crypto.com, uh, the global head of NFTs, and Grant Dexter, CEO of Fanaply. I, I should ask you questions because you are the NFTs expert mm. and indie fundraiser. I mean, what, what did you think was the most interesting takeaways because it wasn't it didn't feel like a hype session it felt like they were kind of being quite thoughtful no the, the thing i was really pleased with with this session was that it was that they steered clear of hype and in fact if anything they were downplaying the 
the hype, which has accompanied all these enormous purchases and enormous sales in the NFT world, which has sort of driven the interest, but is clearly skewing. Well, I think they were quite keen to get away from the talk of multi-million dollar uh, NFT sales, mm. because while I'm sure that that has made them happy, because it's sort of lifted, it's elevated attention around NFTs and that and that economy, um, mm. th they were very keen to talk about the long-term effects of NFTs and building a long-term um, if you like protocol layer to sit on top of the internet in between the internet and your apps and how you interact with them and so th th that was quite nice because they, they weren't just here to sort of uh, you know whip up hype uh, to the moon um, and so th th there was a few things I thought was really interesting and the one was one thing that I hadn't really thought about which was which both Joe and Grant talked about which was about how NFTs should not be viewed as an object that you sell you buy and then sell on for more money they should be viewed as opportunities oh. for artists to build long-term relationships with fans and and that so sort of sounds counterintuitive when you're the assumption is at the moment that artists are making NFTs which are mainly you know very fancy gifts and then selling them for millions of dollars and then cashing out. And uh, they sort of accepted that that sounds weird and is weird. And the example he gave was great, which was about K-Camp. The, the, lottery. Lottery was his big, uh, big viral hit. And he created, or his team created, NFTs around the side of lottery tickets. So it's sort of tied in. And it was a, this was an example of a, a building... Um, this ongoing relationship. So you, you can buy a lottery ticket, a KCAP lottery ticket, and then over time, um, if you hold a ticket, uh, you can it allows you access to an exclusive event because he knows that you're a super fan who was in fairly early and you were engaged enough to buy a ticket. Mm. Or you could burn uh, your NFT, i.e. destroy it, uh, reducing the supply of other lottery tickets out there, which increases their value, and in, then re in return for burning it, uh, you would get maybe merchandise or exclusive special edition things or VIP meet and greets. So you, th there's a sort of payoff for it all the way along. It, it, it strengthens the relationship between artist and fan, and it also gives them exclusive stuff. And I think that's, that was tons of, made tons of sense. And mm. again, that was the great thing about this session, that they gave us an overview of what could actually practically be done with NFTs. If the idea is that you as a fan buy an NFT and hold on to it and get benefits, but you can still sell it, it's still a secondary market. Yes. So is there a point where you're K-Camp's biggest fan because you had his lottery to get earlier on, but at some point it becomes worth loads and you sell it to some random crypto collector who's never heard K-Camp before, but thinks it. And at some point, does this dynamic where actually people do start buying the stuff that should be the super fans, but in fact, they're not super fans at all. They're just buying and invest. Like that dynamic has been really yes. seen. I'm not saying it's a problem, but it, it's an interesting challenge, I guess. Like how do you... What's the balance between loyalty and investment? If if the loyalty is what makes the value go up, surely the investors will pile back in. Yes, I guess, and I guess that's the sort of, uh, and they they were very sort of open about this. Like, there's a lot of questions to be answered that they don't, even they don't know the answers to at the moment. And I guess this is part of it, which is, yes, you are essentially um, turning uh, these kind of traditional sort of fan club like relationships into an economic marketplace with all the sort of foibles of the market as well and what does that mean mm. i guess you know you could say well you know he would just issue some more lottery tickets and then that lowers the value of them individually and you know i mean i guess there's i guess there are sort of economic answers to it but yes there's it's interesting isn't it you're gonna have to like you can't just be like i'll do this now and get stonked and at the end of it you're gonna have to sort of be in managing this in, in a good way hopefully because yes. you'll be still involved but you can't just be like i'll make loads of money and then forget about it 
I think to kind of manage that community. I think one of the interesting things is that we could ultimately see an ecosystem around an artist that is defined by NFTs and in, in the crypto space. And when I say an economy around an artist, I mean the end-to-end economy so that you could have people, uh, you know, it involves the money coming in, the money going out, and also... So when you manage the economy of NFTs around an artist, you're actually managing the artist's uh, economic growth and career in in total. It, it, instead of saying, well, mm. I'm managing the career over here and then I'm dealing with sales over here and I'm dealing with tickets over there. It's just all one thing. And and anything that is good that happens in that space raises the value of everything in that space. So everybody is a tiny island. Mm. Whether I like the sound of that or not is a different uh, matter. But it, It's but a nice that, conversation it to be having there, I think. Yeah. Like an NFT conversation that is about what can people offer to their fans and how can this be good? Not just how much money can we make and how do we... like it's. It feels like there's a there's a shift there into like okay how do we make these things genuinely interesting so that was that was quite cool. It's it's about building a sort of robust economic space and then the second thing and and the final thing just as as a highlight from that space was um, the the to, it helped people I think understand what the the what getting out of the economic part what the value is for fans and the really mm. exciting thing I think the, the things that fans will really really love you know okay buying a, an animated gif from your favorite artist is one thing but if you don't care about that if you're not into digital art and you're not into crypto you have no interest in this space at the moment but you would have interest if for instance if you bought an nft of your favorite artist or you earned it by you you went to a gig and they were like okay everybody at this gig gets this free nft now to show you at this gig it's proof so you have proof of fandom so you prove that you're a fan of an artist by buying an nft or you've earned it by being at a gig or waiting for a video or something and then when there is tighter integration between these nfts and let's say your favorite social media apps instagram tiktok snapchat whatever you could then those um, that NFT could unlock, let's say, an exclusive filter that only fans who own those NFTs can use on Snapchat. Or it could be an exclusive little badge that is, goes on your profile on Instagram or on Spotify to mm. show the world you are a real fan. And you'd carry it mm. everywhere with you. And so wherever you appear on the internet, it would be, you know, for example, Joe Sparrow, enormous Taylor Swift fan because I have bought this NFT. Um, and mm. that is, in, you can see immediately how that's incredibly appealing to, to mm. fans because they would want to do that they're screaming out for ways to show their fandom yeah that has proof built in it was a day before this session that i think the, the head of instagram gave an interview where he talked about his nfts are interesting for us so yeah there's definitely some stuff moving in the background isn't there there and for sure because as, becomes... as soon as instagram start becoming a store for that if you're a taylor swift fan and taylor swift's instagram page says right click here the first ten thousand people get to be a taylor swift you know, day number one fan and it costs this much money and, and Instagram takes a 10% cut and you can show it on your Instagram page and only you can show it I mean mm. you, you can see the possibilities there because it's selling yeah. something that you know is, is easy to sell for them uh, yeah that was a great session as well and again very enlightening if you're interested in NFTs and you want to know more about them uh, the link will be below this uh, podcast so if you're finding this useful and you crave more of uh, Music Ally's in-depth news and trusted analysis waiting for you in your inbox every morning, uh, head on over to musically.com forward slash subscribe. Indie labels, artist managers or publishers may be eligible for one of our sponsored complimentary subscriptions as well. Okay, Stu, on the third day, there was a really interesting session about how memberships, sort of subscriptions and tip economies can work for musicians. Now, we've been speaking about this a lot on Music Ally, which is this um, the emergence of this third 
vertical, the third pillar of income, if you like, which is uh, after uh, live performance and recorded music is everything else, which can be having a, um, a Patreon page or um, tipping in Twitch, or it can be uh, doing live streams and asking people to uh, pay you some money via PayPal or whatever, you know. What was really interesting in that session to you? Yeah, well, there were there were a few things. I mean, there, there was two separate comments that really made me think uh, some stuff. So the first came from uh, the RSC's manager, uh, Zale yes. Enhorn, who talked about the, the kind of thing last year when the RAC's tour was cancelled and they were like, what would we do? Okay, we're going to go all in on Patreon and Twitch. Uh, and he said, I think, over the next six months that they made more money from both Patreon and Twitch mm. than they would have made from the tour. Which, And then later on, the chap from Twitch, who was Will Farrell Green, he said, so the median audience level for people earning over 50 grand a year thousand dollars is about 183 people watching you at once and he was saying i think as well mm. there were a lot of middle class artists making more money on twitch than they were from touring and those yeah. two things so this idea this concept that you can make more from one of these things than you would on your tour anyway so it's not just like it's a, a partial replacement for a tour and you make a little bit of money to make what you lost but then you can actually make more that's really interesting and I'm wary of saying that because I don't mean to say people can give up touring and just do Twitch and Patreon because I think what touring gives artists is not just money, it's it's the contact with people who love their music. Yeah, it's the kind of the, yeah. you're on stage, your fans are there, it's an amazing experience and, and there's no, some people really do want to give up touring and they want to just do stuff in their bedroom because that suits their lifestyle. So yeah. that's kind of cool for them. But I don't think, for a lot of artists, it's not like a one or the other. But it was interesting to me seeing the, the money you can make from the, these platforms, if you do it well, if you really invest in it, if you really kind of learn how to manage a community, what your fans want. And, and the idea that it's quite a small group, and which is, again, is not a new idea because it's the whole thousand true fans thing that was talked about God knows how many years ago. But yeah, it, that was interesting to me, sort of hearing, hearing them talk about the money that is being made by musicians who are properly uh, properly jumping into these platforms and doing it. And I think both Patreon and Twitch it's about it's about more than just doing the odd thing, isn't it? It's about you really are you're broadcasting regularly. You're putting yeah. you're thinking hard about what your fans want. It shows that if you're an artist now, you can if you think carefully and honestly about where you actually want to be. If you don't want to be on a stage, don't do it. Don't do touring. We all know how draining touring is, and 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 that the economics are so tight of it. And if that doesn't appeal to you, you shouldn't do it. But you have to have that connection of performance, like something mm. somewhere and if you can do that through twitch or via patreon or 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 a, a paid for podcast then you should absolutely do it it's fascinating to hear that you can make that much money doing it especially with the profit margins without sort of driving a van around um but at the same time like you say you have to commit fully to that as if you were committing to doing a european mm. tour i guess which i do wonder that's when it gets not that's when it becomes i suppose challenging for artists if you're thinking right we are going to tour we're going to record. How do we fit this stuff around that? Particularly Twitch, particularly regular mm. weekly data, several times a week broadcasting. Like, it's easy to say, oh, we'll do backstage stuff. But that depends on the quality of the network. You know, yeah. venues are getting Wi-Fi more regularly. And maybe that's what this thing will do because more venues are live streaming. They'll have better Wi-Fi and, and so on. But the other thing, yeah, the other thing that came through was this idea of maybe moving away from the massive numbers on social media mm. and what is a meaningful number. And actually on Instagram, million Millions is a meaningful number of followers, like you know, that's but on Twitch, a hundred people watching you can be a decent income. Yeah. Uh, on Patreon, a hundred people 
and that is also interesting to me. I think I don't think we're ever going to really get clear of social media metrics being important. Like I think we're always going to say how many followers have you got, how many likes have you had. Even though Instagram is now letting you hide likes, you can you know, yes. not show them at all. But I think maybe we're just the idea of we're getting these learnings around. Well, actually, what is a good number on Patreon? What is a good number on Twitch? And then how do I super serve those people and grow that? Maybe more grow it more slowly and sustainably until you have 200 300 and then suddenly you're earning decent money like that was again it, it wasn't a massive revelation but it was this thing of sparking thoughts about okay how do we approach these platforms and what do we need to do and how do we maybe reset our expectations of what twitch should be like we're not going on there to broadcast to forty thousand people we're maybe going on there to try and grow an audience of 400 people but we'll make good money from that so that was that was again like you know just like a I think there were people going away, hopefully, from the conference and thinking about what that means and doing stuff that's good. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely an interesting and quite, um, I think for a lot of artists, it will be a relief to hear that there's this shift, that this is finally available. You know, I, I speak to a lot of uh, young emerging artists um, and the one thing that they've always said to me is, sort of often in confidence, is that they just don't like the idea of touring and that they hate certain platforms. They just don't want to be on this, this platform, but they feel they have to be. They feel they have to be on this platform to connect with the world, and they have to tour to connect with people and perform. And I can, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that especially emerging artists will be thrilled and relieved to think that, okay, they, if they don't want to go and perform on stage, they don't need to. And if they don't want to use these social media platforms they hate, they don't have to. But they, it, what that means on the flip side is they do need to understand where their fan base are and need to connect with them with with um equivalent focus and dedication but they can make money from doing it and i'm i would love to see i'm it's kind of not surprising to hear that you can make a lot of money uh, from these platforms on live more than touring because again you know touring is such a uh, a low margin business isn't it but of course has lots of other benefits in there as well i don't mean to suggest that we you know games is much better than music in all these ways but again gaming streamers have figured a lot of this out on twitch you know we can we can learn from what's happening with the gamers and that doesn't mean forcing artists to play games on twitch like yeah. know, get in front of fortnite don't care if you've never played the game but it's about kind of we can we can watch how they go about the business how often they broadcast um the idea of formats came up and that was interesting i think talking about formats which if you're in the tv world is absolutely your bread and butter yeah. that every show has a format what is you know radio too but i think maybe something that artists haven't had to think about so much in the past but now it is okay i'm going to broadcast for two hours but what am i going to broadcast and yeah, how yeah. is it going to be structured yeah. it's not just turning on a camera and going and, and chatting it can be that it, that can be your format but so there's a lot of i think um well in, in a way i'm going to tie it all together now maybe uh, like this along with the nfts along um particularly i think it's it's not about how can i do this thing and make loads of money it's how can i do this thing well and make it creative and make it really good like how can i make an nft that is really good mm. how can i th and that that's a creative endeavor how can I make my Twitch channel really interesting? That's a creative endeavor. Like these, these are not just marketing. They're not just like a business thing. Yes, they are. They're a, a creative process in the same way that making music is, and that's what I think is maybe for musicians, especially ones who get turned off by maybe how do I ask fans to subscribe or how do I ask for money. It becomes more interesting, maybe, if it's like, actually, this is just your latest creative project. How do you make this thing really good and interesting and, and how will people love it? You have successfully summed it up and put, as ever, put your finger Accidentally. on the pulse of, of, the, of the world. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's that idea that, yes, in the past, doing 
social media has been a chore for most artists. It's been a marketing exercise. But now using these platforms could be as fulfilling a creative experience as making music and maybe uh, incredibly rewarding as well. And that is, a, 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 if that works, a true breath of fresh air. Um, and it will, it will result in better art, happier artists, happier fans and uh, peace in our time. Um, <laughs> well, the other, the other thing as well, the last thing actually, not to keep going, is actually both, both Patreon and Twitch said the same thing, which is this idea of making, and it brings back to money making, which I want to, but said if you've, always been, you've always had to make money from the finished product in the past, the album, the tour, and that in some ways these platforms let you make, let you make I hate the word monetize, and especially when talking about art, yeah. They help you. They help you make money from the creative process itself because fans are interested in what you're recording, how you write, and for some artists that's awful. They don't want anyone watching them write songs. Mm, they mm, want to mm. put the finished thing out, and that's fair enough. But for other ones, I think we're wondering what to do. Actually, getting a window into the creative process can be interesting, and then now you can be making money while you're making the album, yeah. rather than having that kind of however many months gap while you're recording. So that yeah. was the other interesting. This idea of of by giving by inviting fans in to your creative process. It's not only interesting, perhaps, and fun, yeah. but it helps you make money from a part of your career that maybe when you wouldn't have been making much money before. You're, perhaps. You're, uh, uh, you're perhaps you, we could say you're unlocking the value in these processes um, and, and actually making actual money out of them, uh, as opposed to mm. it, it all stacking towards one point, which is, is a point of a single point of failure for, for the money money part of it. Yeah, thanks, Stu. And again, uh, as as, uh, as I said before, uh, there'll be a link to that um, below the podcast. You can really dig into Stu's analysis there. So thank you, Stu. Uh, if you found that useful, please share this podcast with someone you think will also find it useful. Uh, friends, share uh, good things with other friends. And uh, we also have a free weekly email, The Knowledge which comes out every Friday and rounds up a soups on of the best analysis, news, marketing, insight and skills from Music Ally. So sign up and you can uh, boast about your new learnings to everyone around you. Links, as ever, are in the description. So that's from me, uh, Joe Sparrow in Berlin and Stu from the UK. Uh, good to speak to you as ever. And until next time, farewell.